Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast Team Preview Edition, the last team preview edition for likely an entire 12 months. Great day to be great as always. I'm your host, Ian Hardis. Joining me as always is the other host, the one, the only, Dwayne The Rock McFarlane. Sup, Dwayne? We made it, man. Team number 32, Detroit Lions. Let's try it. Team 32. It's a Friday. Um, It's five o'clock somewhere. Yeah, it's a great day, Ian. Man, and I'll tell you, like, I've slowly just gotten more and more excited about the Lions. So I'm ready for this one. I woke up feeling good. Got a nice message from a lovely editor, Mark, just saying, hey, man, you're done with all 32. Hell yeah. I was like, hell yeah. (laughs) Didn't have much to do this morning. Slept in until 11. Feeling good. Got my cup of coffee. I'm ready to come podcast with Dwayne. And I lift my headphones up and a freaking spider was underneath there. And it shook me to my freaking bones, Dwayne. But I tell you about it before we started podcasting. And you told me that a coyote was following you back home. And it was a, uh, you know, a humbling experience, uh, I must say, to learn that you apparently are getting stalked by coyotes. I see a spare spider and uh, I was the one freaking out. So <laughs> I don't like spiders either. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, like we just have them out here where we live. And I went for a, a run. I was like in the cool down, like just walking last night. And, uh, like, I just, I heard something like over in, in the bushes, kind of like back behind me, probably like a hundred yards, but I could hear something. And I was like, I say a hundred yards, probably like a hundred feet. And like, I was looking and at first I thought it was a dog, but we've seen coyotes out here before. And he was just kind of like tailing me. And so I was starting to look at trees and shit. <laughs> I was like, if this thing starts running at me, like which tree am I climbing? I had my phone ready. I was about to call Amanda and be like, okay, just come pick me up, <laughs> you oh know? But I was only like, I don't know. I was like a, a half mile from, from home. And there were some other homes right there. And there was, there was like some mailboxes, you know, some big, uh, like brick mailboxes from some of these people. So I had a plan. I was ready. Um, you know, I was going to, at first I would probably just like stomp at it. Like, and you know, usually coyotes are pretty skittish. They'll just run off. How, like, how big are they? Like, charge me. Uh, they're like a, a medium sized dog. They're, okay. they're not, they're not huge. Like we've they're had, probably. Cause we've had Arian Foster and then recently Aaron Jones, he's NFL running backs. We're talking about if they could take a wolf one-on-one, I think a coyote one-on-one is a much more reasonable. Ask yes. potentially. Yeah. 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 I think you, yeah. The main thing you got to watch out is like they hunt in packs. Like, so if there's a pack of them, like that would be much more frightening, but I was looking for exit strategies. I was prepared. I mean, even if you can defeat it, I don't want to be bit by the damn thing. I don't want to go get a rabies shot. I don't want to deal with all that. Like, like, Hey man, I survived the coyote attack. Look at my face is all mauled in, but I killed it. You know, I didn't want to go through that. I, I love how the strategy for bears, apparently one of them, you're supposed to like get really big and start just acting crazy. And the other one's like lay there and act dead. And it's like between a brown or a black bear, like I need something have you seen more. The, have you seen the Revenant with uh, yes. Leonardo DiCaprio? <laughs> like that is so uncomfortable because he just lays there and does the thing, and the bear's just chomping on him. I'm like, God, like this is like excruciating. Like it yeah, is it was the like, best what? option. It's the best option. It's he just like, the left. What, what do I do? What do I need to do to win an Oscar? Get mauled by a freaking bear for like 15 minutes of screen time? It I never think the stopped. bigger question, though, Ian, is like, what's a strategy for handling lions? Like that. Like that's a, that's what we call a segue in the business. Oh, I, I was thinking of like an actual lion. 
All right, let's talk about the ones that live in Detroit, the football players, if you will. As always, going to go through the uh, front office changes, the roster turnover, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end. Thank you, as always, for tuning in the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, where we occasionally break down how, what our chances are against various wild animals. But, Dwayne, looking at the first year of the knee-biting extraordinaire Dan Campbell's offense, we did lose offensive coordinator Anthony Lynn, went to go take the running back and assistant head coach job in San Francisco. So naturally, Dan Campbell, a career-long tight end coach, promoted his tight ends coach, Ben Johnson, to the OC role. Dan Campbell was calling plays to begin with, so I don't think there's too much of a reason to believe this offense will look too different in the year 2022. And what did we see last year? 23rd in pass play rate in non-garbage time situations and actually 29th in situation neutral pace, courtesy of the fine folks over at Football Outsiders. Yeah, wasn't a very good offense at all, Dwayne. And we also had probably the least aggressive quarterback in the entire league under center in Jared Goff. He hasn't gone anywhere. Do you really expect this offense to look all that different next year? I think this offense could look quite a bit different because you had Jamison Williams. Obviously, he may not be ready to start the season. We had the emergence of Amon Ross St. Brown. You had TJ Hawkinson out. You had DeAndre Swift hurt at the end of the year. So, you know, you had DJ Chark as well. Um, I think there's just, you know, the potential here that, you know, I don't know that any of these receivers will be elite, right? For fantasy, they could be really good. I think Amon Ross St. Brown has a chance to be elite, but I think you have enough weapons that you've got multiple good options, right? And like, if you look at, you know, some of the teams that are really good and if you kind of like the, the thought process, like in NFL circles, like with coaches and stuff is like called the rule of three, right? And if you've got three good weapons, like you can be really tough to defend even for really good defenses. If you only have two, you can beat bad defenses, but the good defenses will stop you. If you only have one, it's like a crapshoot, you know, every week, unless you really scheme it up, right? Like you can do it with a Devontae Adams when you've got Aaron Rodgers and you've got a good scheme, you know, like what the Packers run. So it's doable, but Typically, and for a guy like Jared Goff, that's not Aaron Rodgers, you know, if you give him three weapons, yeah, I do think that this offense could take a big step forward. I mean, we've seen Jared Goff every year under, you know, this is less about Goff and more about his weapons, but I think we'll, we'll talk about Goff in a minute. But if you look every year under Sean McVay, um, you know, Goff supported uh, two top 36 options and twice he supported two top 24 options at receivers. So now it was Cooper cup and Robert Woods who happened to be good players. Brandon cooks was also in that mix um, a couple of times, but I think that there are enough weapons now that if they can stay healthy, the lions could be quite a bit better on offense. And they also have a good offensive line. Also worth mentioning, we did get three spot stars out of Tim Boyle, had banged up DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams throughout the year. There is a case to be made that they will be throwing the ball now more because that might actually be what gives them the best chance to win weekend. What is interesting, just real quick, Ian, on that, sorry. Um, you know, I still think with Dan Campbell, you know, kneecap biter, I, I think he's going to want to be balanced and try to win with efficiency, but that's not really different from what Sean, what Goff did with McVay. People mistake that offense as being this super pass-heavy offense, right? Yep. It was really pretty balanced. They still ran the ball quite a bit. They used a lot of play action. The innovative thing they did at the time was, was integrating play action with these jet sweep motions and 11 personnel, right? People were used to seeing that with a tight end and a fullback, but now all of a sudden, you know, you've got three weapons um, that could be a problem, you know, in the passing game and your defense trying to deal with all of their run fits, right, with lighter personnel in the box. like, And then you had a big back like Gurley, who, like, great, you want a nickelback tackling Todd Gurley? Like, well, it didn't work out that well. We'll just put it that way. So I think there's an opportunity that it, it could 
be a more efficient offense, even if they don't throw the ball that much more. Last year, I will say, um, when trailing, they threw by four more points. They threw the ball sixty nine percent of the time. The league average is seventy percent. In games where it where it was within three point or in plays where it was within three points, fifty three percent of the time they drop back to pass. The league average is sixty percent. Right, so they're well below it. And then leading. 46% of the time they drop back to pass versus the league average of 51%. So I think we could still see them um, try to be a conservative team. I mean, in fact, like the fact that they were a 62%, 38% drop back versus run team with as many um, you know losses that they had, they trailed the third most in the league, man. Yeah. They trailed on 57% of their snaps. They trailed by four or more, right? So it's a lot. So I think that could balance out though. I think we could see a, a little, we could see some more close games, maybe get a little bit more leading scripts, so even though, you know, they may not be trailing as much, which may mean they may not still need to throw, I think they could just be more efficient. And, and to your point, like when you have these weapons, like it would make sense to want to throw the ball a little bit yeah. more. But I think they'll, they'll probably be, if we go back to the Madden playbook, like <laughs> I would think balanced to pass balanced, like would be, I, I don't think they'll be pass heavy. This was a team that, you know, really was a lot more competitive than I think people maybe gave them credit for if you weren't watching them every single week. Obviously had the Ravens game in week three where the, you know, Lamar had to convert like the fourth and 20 and then he had the Justin Tucker uh, field goal. Like just from a pure points perspective, they were actually, they were the team that should have won five games and lost 12 times. Instead, they went three, 13 and one. So not good. Even if they were five and 12, that's still objectively bad, but maybe not just the dumpster divers that some have written them off to be looking at their main offseason moves though. Didn't do too much in free agency. Lost a uh, wide receiver, Kadero Hodge, replaced him with wide receiver DJ Chark, formerly of the Jaguars. $10 million that is fully guaranteed. Just a one-year deal, but with that amount of money, we'll expect him to have a starting spot in three wide receiver sets. Also, tight end Garrett Griffin signed a one-year contract with the Lions to be a backup. Mentioned before, but Jamison Williams with the 12th overall pick. Traded up to get him. We'll see how that recovery from the torn ACL continues to go. Dr. Evan Porras said October 13th was the first day that he thinks responsibly uh, he would be ready to go. Not saying that's when he'll be there. We'll see what the Lions do. We'll see how Jamison feels. But just based on the usual recovery from an ACL injury, and he suffered it in January, we would expect mid-October as a likely return date. Also landed Virginia Tech tight end James Mitchell in the fifth round. A little bit interesting because the PFF draft guy really talked up how much of a receiving threat he is, and he basically just missed all the 2021 season with the knee uh, surgery himself. So just probably would have gone a lot higher had he not get, gotten hurt. That said, TJ Hawkinson there, fifth round pick, not looking good for Mitchell, at least for the year 2022. So yeah, Dwayne, easily the biggest move of the offseason, Jamison Williams, and also just the fact that this was a team that didn't add a quarterback in free agency, didn't add a quarterback throughout the draft. It's Jared Goff's show for at least one more year. Yeah, I, I think, you know, with Goff, He's not a player like, and I know we'll get into more of his detailed stuff. Like he's not somebody like you're going out of your way to target, but man, it's really easy, especially in best ball um, to build stacks. I know we talk about game stacks and week 17, but like the number one way still to correlate and try to create big weeks and win in best ball or any format DFS, right. Is to have the quarterback with one or two of the other options on the team, right? You typically don't want three or four. Um, it's just, it's hard for them to all go off at the same time. Maybe over the course of a season, you'd be fine. Um, but like with golf it's just, man, you could, you could get Hawkinson. You could get, you know, Monroe or Monroe St. Brown. You could get, um, Jamison Williams, like the two I find myself pairing the most in are Amon Ross St. Brown and, and in the drafts where Jamison really falls. Cause it's like every fifth draft. And this happens with all the players that are injured. Like it happens with Michael Thomas. It happens with Deandre Hopkins. It happens with Jamison Williams. Um, any of these players, Chris Godwin, 
I just wait for the drafts where I'm all of a sudden in a room where everybody's, I'm not touching that guy. He's hurt. Like, and then that's the draft. Like I pick them up. And so like in, in golf, the, the beauty of it is if you set it up, nobody's taking golf. <laughs> you can still get him. Like he's one of the last three quarterbacks to come off the board. So it's easy to build these stacks. And if the lions do take a step forward, right. And the offense overall is better. It's, I think, I think the Lions stack has more upside than a lot of the others that we're dealing with late. Like, I, I just think what their offense has done, you know, provides some different outs where we could actually just see a better offense, right? I know that Goff is, is, is not a great NFL quarterback, but when we're talking about stacks, all you're looking for are those spike weeks. Well, and I do think there's, and I've talked about this with Carson Wentz, um, basically every time we do a best ball stream, but I think the, the quarterback two tier, which basically ends right around Jameis Winston, you could even put Trevor Lawrence. I, I think it's like, like, you know, Tua, Trevor Lawrence, Daniel Jones, Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, all these guys. Yeah, I have them ranked ahead of the Jared Goffs and the Carson Wentz's of the wor- world. But I do think you could argue it's a tier or maybe like, you know, a 3A, 3B tier. And we're still talking about, in Jared Goff's case, and probably Carson Wentz, a quarterback that is going to start 17 games that we have seen be a legit QB1 over the course of an entire season before. If we can get that guy in round 16 or round 17 to actually fill a position of need on the roster, Dwayne, to me, that's better a lot of times than throwing some dart at a wide receiver or running back who at that stage in the draft, like it's usually either like a pure injury handcuff guy or hell, maybe even someone that's not particularly likely to make the team by the time uh, September comes around. So I do think there's something to be said for getting a legit QB2, QB3 at the end of these drafts and not reaching on someone like Tua legit like six rounds earlier yeah and again a lot of it just comes back to the way you've built your team early on you know so the beauty is if if you want to take Tyreek Hill or Jalen Waddle well the quarterback also costs two or three rounds more whereas you get Amon Ross St. Brown in round six he's creeping into round five now pretty consistently over on DraftKings and full PPR I think in half PPR he's more of a six round pick you know so underdog that's probably the better price but you can get all of them cheaper. <laughs> and so you're paying up for the Dolphins all the way around. You're paying up for Tyree Kill, you're paying up for Jalen Waddle, and you're paying up for Tua. Yeah. So I, I like the Lions stack as being a sneaky one that could be, you know, and we're not saying I'm on Ross St. Brown as Tyree Kill, but I think it's a sneaky stack that at ADP could potentially pay off more, and it lets you do other things at those early picks besides taking a Tyree Kill. Moving right into our quarterback like discussion. Running backs, Ian, sorry. There we go quarterback discussion we're already pretty much having last year jared goff finished as a qb 23 in fantasy points per game before that qb 24 21 and 2017 2018 he was 11th and 9th and hysterically averaged 7.6 fantasy points per game in seven starts with jeff fisher back in 2016 like as bad as trevor lawrence as bad as some of these quarterbacks look as a rookie like we can always just go back to what jared goff looked like and jeff fisher and be like well it can, it can never be worse than that. And golf at a minimum turned into, uh, you know, at least in, in anyone's idea of an above average quarterback, even if it was for only a couple years stretch. So got to never, good. dude, I'll never forget Ian. Were you, what did you watch, uh, you know, um, hard knocks Jared yeah. Goff's rookie season? Do I'm you not, remember when he didn't know not doing this eight and eight shit again? I know. Oh, dude, no, it was with, was with Fisher, but do you remember whenever they asked, you know, Goff? you know, he was, a, it was his rookie season. They asked him, you know, does the sun rise and set in the east or the west? He didn't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you do. Who cares where the sun rises and oh, sets? Oh, God. Okay. Really? Oh, my God. That's such Jesus. a boomer thing to care about. You and Jeff Fisher. How can you not? You wake up every day on this planet. You know whether the sun rises in the east or the west, right? Like, you, you know which way is north and south. 
I mean, maybe I can see the bright <laughs> the bright star is supposed to be the North Star at night. But what does this solve me? Did, did they have Google Maps in the 1700s, Dwayne? We do. It's a useless skill. Yeah, wake up and touch some grass, dude. It's like handwriting. People that like fall back on their good handwriting. Like, congrats on being good at something that became irrelevant like 20 plus years ago. Awesome. I'm just going to lay out on you. It's a professional move. Okay. <laughs> Back to Jared Goff here. Uh, look, I get it. I think the best years of his fantasy career are pretty much in the past. I'm not expecting a throwback like it was 2017 or 2018, but he's probably going to finish, Dwayne, inside the top 24. He's not being drafted in the top 24. And to your point, just where he's going in best ball, I do think he could be an underrated number two or number three QB on the squad. Probably ideally number three, but hey, sometimes drastic times call for drastic measures and this is not a terrible offense these days pff's third ranked offensive line going to the season 21st you know pff receiving corpse rank 13th place finish for the offensive line last year like this is an offense that could feasibly suit golf strengths i just wonder if he can get out of his own way a little bit here because my god man 6.8 yard average target depth 42nd last year only ben rothsberger threw short of the sticks more often so i think that's the allure for swift Hawkinson and Amon Ross St. Brown, though, they are continuing to likely run these underneath intermediate routes. And that's where Goss going to pepper the area of the field more than just about anyone. Yeah. And I, I think some of those, you know, we've seen, we've seen some years from Goff where he did push it a little bit more down the field. You know, he had some of those times with cooks. He did it a little bit with Sammy Watkins, but really, if you think about the way that his offense was, was designed before. And I think honestly, they're trying to replicate some of what he had, um, you know, with the Rams, um, there was always a field stretcher out there. It's still the way the Rams offense is now. Van Jefferson, go run, go routes all day. You know, OBJ will run a few as well, but they, they don't necessarily target it a ton, even Stafford, right? Most of the big plays come off of the play action, right? And you're hitting that deep crossing route, you know, or you got another uh, receiver running up the seam that gets over top of both safeties. And so Goff is a, like pick and choose kind of guy. Like he can push the ball deep. I'm not saying he's great at it. It's not like the thing he wants to do all the time. But I think if Jamison Williams can get healthy, like it just helps unlock everything for everyone else, right? Because he can... He can push defenders off, you know, vertically, and then that gives more room for Hawkinson. That gives more room for Swift. That gives more room for Amon Ross St. Brown. And obviously he gives you a better chance of winning deep, you know, when you have a player with the elite type of speed that he has. And if Jared Goff, you just need the threat of being able to do it. Like you don't have to do it all the time to make your offense better. Sunsets in the West, right? Yes. That, sound, that sounded right. Sounded right. Yes. Well, it well, rises well, in the it. East, sets in the West. Running back room, DeAndre Swift, Jamal Williams, Craig Reynolds, Goblin, Igwebuki, and Jamar Jefferson. Of course, DeAndre Swift. This was one of those, Dwayne, where I came in to the article thinking I might be too high in DeAndre Swift. I know a lot of people are ready to crown him as the next big thing. And I just thought maybe looking back that in the games with him and Jamal Williams – healthy that maybe his production was being overstated uh no man really wasn't even in the 10 games where both backs were fully healthy swift averaged 18 ppr points per game and 17 expected ppr points per game like yes rush attempts it was swift 103 and jamal williams 102 but the targets 62 to 22 i mean swift had the 66 percent snap rate williams was at 35 percent he really was the 1A lead back and just getting so many of those fantasy-friendly targets, man. Hard to have any real complaints about Jamal Williams taking away the production. Same thing as in Green Bay. Like, yes, would it be great if 
Aaron Jones and DeAndre Swift played 100% of the snaps and got every single touch. Yes, but if they're going to throw them the ball a lot, and in Jones's case, just able to score a bunch of touchdowns with Aaron Rodgers under center, you know, beggars can't always be choosers. And with Swift, only McCaffrey and Fournette caught more passes than him last year, ended up tying with Joe Mixon for the 10th most expected PPR points on the season. And Dwayne, like we've talked before about how his rushing numbers aren't as aren't aren't very good at all, to be honest with you. And just him versus Jamal Williams, they're they're, they're terrible. They're terrible. You know, <laughs> for two years, not just one. They're terrible, but it's it doesn't make sense, man, because he is electric with the ball in his hands as a receiver, and we see that. I mean, he took he had to screen the house against the Niners, the Rams, and he even was starting to run the ball better, notably against the Steelers and then also the Browns before he got injured. So I. I'm willing it's something to-, to do with his processing and his vision. Like yeah. it's something to do with that. But here's the thing: like they've got a first round pick in him. Um, they want to have a back that's involved in the passing game. So like Swift, I, look, he has the profile right to be the number one back in fantasy. Yep. Does he have question marks for sure? Like I like I've got Swift right now. You know, I'll go ahead and say like I've got Swift number ten. You know, in my ranks, Same. which is lower you know, than, than where he's going right now, you know, in ADP, but it's because here's the thing. Jamal Williams is good enough to stay involved. Like Jamal Williams can be an every down player as well. He's not, he's not as electric, right. As Deandre Swift, he's more of a, you know, lunch pal kind of guy, but he can do everything. He can play everything. And my one concern is if, if the lions get better, there are other routes for Swift to improve if the lines get better, right? What you're hoping for then is that he scores more touchdowns. Um, but if we really just look at the games, I've got it pulled up right now on PFF Ultimate. Um, if you look at the games where the Lions were within three points, right, or actually leading, what were the splits between the two for their snaps? 54-46. It was very close. Yeah. Where Swift just dominated um, was because the Lions trailed all the time. And I, we talked about it every week, you know, last year with the utilization stuff. Like, look, the Lions are terrible. It's not changing because they didn't have the weapons. They didn't have a lot of the things going. And it is what it is. <laughs> so DeAndre Swift's just going to be out there all the time because he he gets all the two-minute offense snaps. He gets most of the long down and distance. Um, but in those games where it was actually close um, and they were playing together, that that gets rid of the games you know, where they weren't playing together. You know, They both had to be active. Um, it was a lot closer. So I do think that Jamal Williams you know, is a player that you know, could still is still going to be a hindrance to Swift. But in PPR leagues, DeAndre Swift is fine. Like yeah. Once you get into half PPR, a little bit more of a concern. You get into standard leagues, you need to move DeAndre Swift down a little bit. And that's where we can talk about guys like Joe Mixon, Javante Williams, even, yep. you know, moving up ahead of Swift in half point or standard full PPR. It's just so hard to get away from with the, you know, true Kamara McCaffrey-esque ceiling he legitimately has yes. in the passing game. And uh, to your point about the fourth quarter success really was kind of like the Jalen Hurts version of the running back up position this last year. 32% of his receptions came in the fourth quarter while trailing by seven plus points, easily the number one mark in the entire NFL, regardless of position. So Dwayne, I think our running back tiers are slowly, but surely, uh, you know, becoming closer to each other. Not that we were ever that far apart, but we got our big, big six. I think I will keep Dalvin in the big six. After that, I have Fournette and Saquon. Thanks to their three down roles. And then I think kind of in their own mini tiers, Aaron Jones and Deandre Swift who, based on what we talked about with the Packers and just not having Devonte, I can see Jones and Swift having very similar roles. Jones probably not being quite as game script dependent. With that said, we do see them grand Dylan at the end of games to grind things out. But I just think Jones's touchdown ceiling is so much higher than Swift being able to have Rodgers under center. And I would take Swift ahead of Joe Mixon, Javante Williams, 
and some of these other guys I just don't think have the same sort of pass down ceiling. Are we are we in line with Swift before we move on to Jamal? Yeah, and you know how I do these. I do them with I do tiers. So um, I do have Mixon above Swift, um, but I'm I'm never taking Mixon. <laughs> you know, I, I am drafting DeAndre Swift. So Mixon goes uh, as an ADP on FFPC of running back seven on underdog is running back seven. DeAndre Swift's going. DeAndre Swift's going off the board after him, one pick after him. But I pick Swift on the turn quite often. Like I'll go receiver first round, come back Swift. I'm hardly ever taking Mixon. Um, you know, I'm much more warm to Mixon on a ha- in a half point or in a in a standard league. To your point, I go um, Mixon ahead of him in half point standard. Yeah, I think that's fine. I think you can. Um, but in the full PPR, yeah, and which is what I've got pulled up in front of me right now. Um, even then, I've just got Swift just a tad behind. But I. Again, it's just the way the tiers work out, right? It's the it's based on the volume that we have projected, the team they play on, everything. Um, but the upside case, right, for DeAndre Swift is what you said. And so I have him in a similar tier. So this is the tier of you got two players that are just like what you talked about. They're gonna be very active in the passing game and Aaron Jones and DeAndre Swift. And then the third player in that tier for me is Javante Williams. So basically, this is just a big smash upside tier. Like I want Aaron Jones on as many teams as I can get. I want DeAndre Swift on PPR teams, and I want Javante Williams on every type of format all the time in the third round, as much as I can get. Like I will take as much as I can handle. So yeah, I do like I like Swift. Um, I'm a little lower than on consensus, so I don't have as much exposure as some folks do. And again, it ties back to the fact that I know Jamal Williams is a good enough player. He's shown enough over the last two years, Swift. And his PFF rushing gate grade and receiving grade. That's what's crazy. He's also his receiving grade is also really bad. So historically, like players that have had these really bad grades like this, um, multiple years in a row, like it doesn't always really work out. Like the really good backs that we love, most of them actually score, believe it or not, they score really well in PFF rushing grades and PFF receiving grades. So I'm a tad worried that Swift is overrated. Um, but again, it's all priced in because you're getting you're getting him. Um, and late round one, early round two, I think he's a great player to target at that turn. You could argue his his kind of usage projection is Austin Eckler on a worse offense. Yes, yes, that's exactly what, and that's what Aaron Jones too, uh, but yeah. on you know a little bit lesser offense than the Chargers. But you got a great quarterback. I think both of them are arbitrage plays on you know the Eckler pick. Looking at Jamal Williams currently going off the board, Dwayne RB fifty six over Underdog Fantasy. Love him. Love I believe him. I believe he's my second highest owned back so far after doing we're up to around thirty five drafts over at Underdog Fantasy. So going behind guys like Marlon Mack, James Robinson, who is drafting Daryl Williams ahead of Jamal freaking Williams? Man, I don't get the obsession with the Cardinals RB three, but you know what? You keep doing you people letting Jamal fall down the boards even more. So. Looking back at last season, when Swift got hurt, he suffered the sprained AC joint. It's important to remember that Williams was actually banged up himself. He was dealing with hip and thigh injuries throughout the second half of the year, actually missed some action due to COVID as well. With that said, Dwayne, I was pleasantly surprised going back and looking at the three games that Williams had without Swift in the picture, just in terms of his overall touch usage. Like the snaps weren't great, 63%, 47%, 42%. Craig Reynolds was out there plenty, but man, 15 carries and five catches in week 12, 17 carries and a catch in week 13, 19 touches in week 16. So he was clearing 15 easily, flirting with 20 touches every single week. No, he didn't find the end zone. And that's why if you happen to be starting Jamal Williams in those weeks, he probably didn't come away with that good of an opinion on him. But man, Jamal Williams, he's, you're not going to feel good about having him in the flex, but if you just look at him, he's going 
freaking 40 picks behind some of these guys like Michael Carter, like Daryl Henderson, Isaiah Spiller, who I think we probably can agree. None of those guys are going to feel good about having in the flex, but they all have some very nice upside. Maybe those guys Spiller higher upside than Williams. If something happens to their respective uh, starting running backs. But again, Jamal Williams is like the absolute cheapest running back in fantasy right now that you can like wrap your mind around something close to weekly flex value. And I think his handcuff potential is going underrated. Yes, it is like his, he gives you spike week potential every week, especially if the lines get better and his contingent value is he's going to give you RB one weeks. If Deandre Swift goes down, like it's going to happen. He just has to be healthy. Like I was glad that you brought up, you know, the injuries because like I had jotted some stuff down on that as well, but he's one of my highest rostered uh, players over my last 50 best ball drafts. I've got him on 36% of my team. So, and it's to your point, it's the ADP. Like nobody wants Jamal Williams. Like you can get him in the 15th round. So what it allows you to do Let's say you start off running back, running back, running back, and you don't want to spend those 10th, 11th, and 12th round picks on Rashad White, Isaiah Spiller, uh, Ronald Jones, other upside guys we love that play in offenses that are going to shoot out all the damn time. But if you start off heavy-handed at running back, you might as well go ahead and keep pounding receivers through that range because there's a lot of young guys like Rondell Moore goes in that range. You got Tim Patrick going in that range. There's a lot that you can do at receiver and still gain access to these AFC West, NFC West teams. And then you can come back and you can get a Jamal Williams as your RB4, RB5. on If you if you still want to make sure, hey, I at least want to have a couple of extra players outside my top three. Um, but I'm fine just having four. If, if I go heavy at running back, it's like basically I'm saying, okay, I'm just going to be right or I'm going to be wrong. I'm in a best ball draft. I'm going to be right or I'm going to be wrong. If these players, here's the thing. If your first and second round picks go down, you're probably not winning best ball mania anyway, right? So it's just kind of a strategy thing. But Jamal is the one I like. I, I constantly, like, he'll get to me. I'm like, I got to click him. Like, I got to click him because what you just said, like, there's there's multiple paths for Jamal Williams. Number one, he could give you spike week value or he could just split, you know, carries um, if the team is better. Um, look, this is a top three offensive line. You know, Mike Renner, PFF, you know, own he put out his uh, offensive line rankings a couple weeks ago. Like they've got multiple first round and second round picks tied up in this thing now. Like so this is this this is a team that's going to have a chance to run the ball and be better. But Jamal Williams, his paths, right? He could just give you spike week value as as the Robin, right, to the hero Batman and DeAndre Swift, especially if the Rams improve. Number two, what if DeAndre Swift continues to struggle and the PFF rushing and receiving grades are real and the coaches are thinking the same damn thing? They're like, you know, we got to give Jamal Williams more work. Like, it could happen. I wouldn't say this normally about a lot of players, but like his underlying talent profile, it you know, for Swift, it, it definitely has a few cracks in it. I'm not saying it's going to happen. It could approach. downside. It could approach what we saw in Arizona when Edmonds and Connor were both healthy, basically 50-50. Like, it's possible. Yes, it's in the range. And then the final one is the contingency value you talked about. If Swift goes down, Jamal Williams is going to give you upside that way. So it's a back that I feel like there's three avenues to them giving you value. You get spike week potential. The contingency contingency upside is solid, right? And we're liking the Lions offense. We like their offensive line. So, And we don't talk about offensive lines a lot, but I always do look at the extremes. And so if you've got a unit ranked in the top three, which the Lions do, like I pay attention. You know, I don't care so much about the middle of the road teams. I care about who has the worst offensive line and who has the best. Like that's what really matters to me. And the Lions are in the conversation of having one of the best. And there's obviously some player archetypes that it matters a lot more for. We didn't care about it for Najee Harris because we knew he could catch freaking 70 passes. For Jamal Williams, who can catch passes but isn't going to have a ton of opportunities to do that behind Swift, that's huge. And for Jared Goff, who can't exactly escape the pocket, that's huge. And that is the last part for Williams. If Swift goes down, I he'll – he has shown multiple times in his career that he can be an every down back. Like, yep. like again, folks, 
he's not a hyper explosive player, but you know, I think the comp for him in actually, that's a great comp that we were getting last year. Remember last year and you are, I've already mentioned it just now. Where was Chase Edmonds going? Like round six of drafts. Yeah. James Connor, you could get in round nine Ooh. or 10. Ooh. I think this year's potential James Connor is Jamal Williams. And I'm not saying he's going to wrestle the job from Swift, but if something happens to Swift like Edmonds and he comes in and he starts working, that's the other thing. Like if Swift could miss a few games and Jamal Williams balls out and all of a sudden Swift returns and it's like, hey, dude, we're actually in a 50 50 timeshare now. What's up? I've heard like it, could, it, could, it could happen. I think the three good contenders for that this year are Ronald Jones. The issue is that like his that re- his receiving so bad. I hate to tell you this, Dwayne, but Melvin Gordon, it's possible. God forbid. Yeah, no, Melvin Gordon. Through. Dude, Melvin Gordon is one of my most rostered backs when nice. I don't draft Javante. Yeah. I'm not an idiot. Like, Javante <laughs> Williams goes down. I don't want to cry for three days. <laughs> <laughs> and then I want to be like, point- yeah, on those teams, I got Melvin Gordon in the ninth round. Look at my receivers. <laughs> like, that's what, I'll be, that's what I'll be saying on Twitter. But then the third one that I think makes sense is Jamal Williams. And again, he's going so much cheaper than all these Love guys. It, I just love it. I feel like it's a major edge right now. Look, and I know, look, we it's and it's it's an archetype take. It's not just a player, right? It's yeah. it's the right team. It's everything's just perfect spot, and the ADP is so good for Williams. Um, and a lot of these guys that we're taking later, it's really hard to say they could have the every down upside if if their teammate went down, right? Yeah. Like we don't get that with Gus Edwards. Um, we don't get that, you know, even with like Tyler Algier, probably he's only going to be a first and second down player. Tyrion Davis Price, like, yeah, we love the offense for the 49ers, big upside. He could take over some early down work, but probably not going to be an every down player. Like Jamal Williams is like one of the only ones, like Brian Robinson. He needs two injuries. He needs two injuries for things to work out for him. Daryl Williams, to your point, like, look, man, I, I'm not sure Daryl Williams is even the dude. Like if, if, you know, if we he might not make the team, right. And so like, I like Daryl Williams, but he's a player I don't need to draft right now with where people are drafting at ADP. I'll be fine. If they cut, you know, uh, Eno Benjamin or, or Keontae at the end of training camp and they keep Daryl Williams and it's down to three. Fine. Guess what? Daryl Williams, ADP, you guys have already freaking shoved it too far up there, right? It's not going anywhere. It's going to be the same. I'll get him at the same price that you're paying today, maybe a round or two more. And that's fine. I'll just pay it then. I don't want to pay for Daryl Williams right now in drafts, like just knowing that he could be cut. Like it's it's just stupid. Wide receiver rim. Amon Ross St. Brown, the alpha. Jameson Williams, whenever he will be back, we can expect to be hit, be out there. DJ Chark, Josh Reynolds, Khalif Raymond, and Quintez Cephas, the Amon Ross St. Brown spectacle. Dwayne, we were firmly on the sun gods. What would he, what would the sun god be like riding around in? Probably not a boat. Whatever the hell. A chariot. Let's yeah, go with the chariot. Be a chariot. We, we were front seat driving the, the Monroe St. Brown chariot earlier in the offseason. When they added Jameson, I think it caused all of us to back up a little bit. But man, again, pup list almost seems like a more of a likelihood, if not, you know, even a certainty at this point with what's going down. Recovering from the injury, the Lions, I think, are pretty, they're, they're trying to win games, obviously, you know, and having that nice attitude instilled in their organization. But I also don't think they're necessarily going to rush Jameson back to. Uh, you know, putting him out there before he's ready to go health-wise. So it's once again looking like Amonra St. Brown could be the undisputed number one target in Detroit. Now, as we all saw, didn't have anything going weeks one through 12 before we got some injuries going. In fact, he didn't score a touchdown or have more than 70 yards in a game weeks one through 12. What did he do after though? PPR wide receiver six, 26, six, six, two, and nine to end the season. Only Cooper Cup scored more fantasy points from weeks 13 through weeks 18. So it is a small sample size. 
We did have TJ Hawkinson sideline from weeks 14 through 18. And we did have DeAndre Swift sideline for weeks 13 through 16. And Dwayne, like you could see, particularly with the Swift being out, like how directly it impacted Amon Ra's usage. Like they were using him for not super extended stretches, but getting, I think he had like 16 total backfield snaps basically during the last few months of the year. He had a rushing touchdown uh, against the Seahawks and like a draw play. They were using him on the old Texas route out of the backfield and just giving him, you know, a lot of the stuff that would have been designed for Swift. And we also had it banged up to Maul Williams during that point. But something he pointed out on Twitter at one point or another, I was reading through your old tweets. We also saw a shift in St. Brown's usage as an outside receiver. Like he only played double digit snaps as an outside receiver one time before week 11. He was easily surpassing that as an outside receiver in each of weeks 12 through 18 down the stretch. So we did see him start to play more on the outside and just be featured as the every down receiver that we obviously saw put together a lot of points. But here's my, and this is why I'm continuing to be really high in the Monroe St. Brown, Dwayne. We don't see guys put up these numbers and then fall back to earth. It just doesn't happen. And you can say Hawkinson and Swift were out. I, again, I, I, I agree. It had something to do with it. But I went back. I looked at wide receivers with at least five 20-point PPR games in a season since 2010. Amon Ra had five. A bunch of guys have more. But these are there's a list, and it's going to take me a minute here. But here are the 66 wide receivers that have accomplished this. A.J. Brown, A.J. Green, Thielen, Allen Robinson, Cooper Cup, Andre Johnson, Calvin Johnson, Antonio Brown, Brandon Cooks, Ayuk, Brandon Lloyd, Brandon Marshall, Ridley, Goblin, Devontae Adams, Hopkins, Debo, Demarius Thomas, Deshaun Jackson, Devontae Parker, Dez, Deontay Johnson, Doug Baldwin, Dwayne Bowe, Manuel Sanders, Eric Decker, Golden Tate, Greg Jennings, Chase Claypool, Juju, Jarvis Landry, Jimmy Macklin, Jordan Matthews, Nelson, Jordy Nelson. Edelman, Julio, Justin Jefferson, Keenan, Galladay, Larry Fitzgerald, Laurent Robinson, Marquise Colston, Michael Pittman, Michael Thomas, Mike Evans, Mike Wallace, Mike Williams, OBJ, Percy Harvin, Pierre Garcon, Randall Cobb, Reggie Wayne, Robert Woods, Diggs, Hilton, T.O., Tyler Boyd, Tyler Lockett, Tyreek Hill, Victor Cruz, Vincent Jackson, and Wes Walker. I missed a couple in there, but my God, Dwayne, it's like two of those guys were legitimate busts. And even then, like Laurent Robinson, he got hurt on his next contract. Like Marquise Colston was good. Jordan Matthews at least had himself a couple of okay years. Everything is telling us that Amon Ross St. Brown probably put up a lot of fantasy points because he's probably a really good wide receiver. I know you've also done some work relative to his PFF receiving grade that shows us the same damn takeaway. Yeah, uh, and a lot of the same names on the list, like since we're doing lists. So these are receivers to score 75-plus receiving grade as a rookie. Odell Beckham Jr., you guys like him? Terry McLaurin, interest in Terry McLaurin? Michael Thomas, how about that dude? Is he any good? Mike Evans, Keenan Allen, A.J. Brown, how about him? Tyreek Hill, before he got the routes, before he really broke out as a fantasy player. Doug Baldwin, before he ever broke out as a fantasy player. Chris Godwin, before he ever broke out as a fantasy player, hit this number. Cooper Cup, Stefan Diggs, Juju Smith-Schuster, Jarvis Landry, Hunter Renfro. You guys need to stop painting on, on Hunter Renfro. Tyler Lockett and A.J. Green. And what's funny is the same people that say Amon Rob St. Brown can't do this are the same people saying that Alan Lazard is going to be a great receiver and so is MVS, right? And it really does just come down to two camps. It comes down to, and guess what? I used to be more in the other camp, but like, as you learn, as you, you know, study more and as you research more, like you, you start to, you know, you try to evolve, like we all try to get better. And I think the answer really is somewhere in, in between, right? Which is why I created the tier process that I did this year, which really looks at, okay, what's the total situation? What's the target competition? But again, the talent, like when going back and researching this stuff, eventually the talent usually wins out. Do some players get unlucky? 
yeah, AJ Brown will he ever get thrown? Will he ever get to play with Tom Brady and pass heavy offense? Probably not. You know, it is what it is. But the talent is still there. So Amon Ross St. Brown like checks all the boxes we want. Um, and here's the other thing: like TJ Hawkinson just hasn't shown us Ian that he can really be more than a low end tight end one. Right? I can easily see them prioritize Amon Ross St. Brown in the passing game over TJ Hawkinson. DeAndre Swift, we already talked about. Like we like him. The overall profile is pretty sweet. He could be the RB1 overall, but he also has some cracks. He has some flaws. Like what if all of a sudden they just start prioritizing St. Brown over Swift? They could easily freaking do that. Oh, by the way, St. Brown's just good enough to demand his own targets anyway. So like we, we're not saying, folks, that he's going to get 30% target share like he did down, down the stretch last year. No, Hawkinson coming back is going to impact that. Swift being back is going to impact that. Jamison Williams being there is going to impact that. But at the same time, like folks thinking he's just going to fall off the map. Like, I just, I don't get it. Like, I think you can still easily project him for 22, 23% of the targets and feel fine about it. You don't have to be at 30%. And you can get him in the late fifth round in full PPR. You can get him in the middle of the sixth round in half point PPR. And standard leads, maybe you take, you dial it back a smidge, right? On St. Brown, because for him to be big in standard leagues, we really, you are going to depend on, we need the Lions offense to take a step forward, right? So that he can score more touchdowns. Yeah. Um, so that has to be the equation for standard league. So if you want to fade him a little more in standard, I think it's fine. But in half point at his price tag and at full point, you know, in his price tag, like, man, I'm, I get him and he's sneaking up now, man. I used to get him in full point in the sixth round. And now I'm sad because he goes at the end of the fifth. Like he's moved like six or seven spots in like the last week. And so Pope people are starting to warm up like to St. Brown again. So, uh, but I, I still love the price tag, a fifth round draft pick for what we saw at the end of last year. I'm, I'm all in on a Mon, on Mon, on a Mon Ra St. Brown. Wide receiver 38 underdog fantasy. He's my wide receiver 25 right now. Like I am straight up taking him ahead of the guys in front of him. Chris Goblin, Darnell Mooney, Jesus Schuster, and Rashad Bateman. I want St. Brown out of that group. And as always, if you're playing ADP and you think Amon Ra is going to be there for you in the six and you want to take Bateman first or something, that's fine. It's a tier of them. But again, Dwayne, like he's been better than these guys. Amon Ra St. Brown last year is better than anything Darnell Mooney has ever been, better than anything that Bateman has ever been to this point. I know he was hurt. I'm not here to shit on Bateman, but like in the targets, I think are pretty even potentially for all these guys too. So when we have a really damn good receiver with a quarterback too, like, okay, golf, I think we would put him in the, like, not, we're not thrilled about having him as our fantasy quarterback bucket of guys, but out of that bucket, man, golf has enabled a lot more fantasy relevant wide yes. receivers. He, he threw eight touchdowns to Sammy Watkins in one year. Mahomes uh, threw eight yeah. to him in three years. Like, get Goff at least credit for one thing. That's enabling some of these uh, fantasy relevant wide receivers. Same thing with Kirk Cousins. Yeah, no, you hit it. Like, and, and I mentioned it earlier. Like, every single year, he was a Ram with McVay. Not his rookie season with Jeff Fisher. But after that, with McVay, every year, he supported two top 36 wide receiver options in fantasy. Two of those years, he supported two top 24s. So, like, Goff is going to be good enough. And again, like, the over, the Lions trajectory is up, man. Like, I, I kind of, I'm kind of digging the coaching staff at this point, even though, you know, I, I know they may not do all the analytic stuff that everybody loves, but like, there seems to be some inspiration, right? They seem to be a team. You know, we've got the offensive line. There's just a lot of things working for the Lions right now. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. If the Lions, you know, really surprise people, like if, I, if you know, they'd be a team I'd, I'd want to bet an over on, right? Typically on over-unders, I'm betting unders. They're just the better bet. But like the Lions are one that I'm looking at right now. They're only projected for six and a half wins. I think there's a good chance that they beat that. 
um, especially looking at their schedule. They don't have a loaded schedule. But Amon St. Brown, like, what do you think is his worst? I think he has wide receiver one upside, not number one, wide receiver number one overall, but I think that he ha- he still has the upside to sneak into the top 12 in PPR especially. And I think it's downside, man, in, in PPR. Wide receiver like three. The worst case, you get a low-end wide receiver three. And yep. so that's the beauty. We've I've got him in my tier 3A. I've got him ranked 25 overall. He's going 30th on, F- F- on FFPC. Thanks, Fantasy Mojo. Going 30th. On underdog, I guess we'll just thank Hayden Winks. I know Hayden, you don't necessarily do that, but we just love you. Um, <clears throat> but looking at Monroe St. Brown, with you, I'm well above consensus. But he's one of the few players that you look at in the tier where you're like, man, his 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 floor is kind of still in the tier. Like we've got him as a wide receiver three, so you're getting to draft him at his floor, but his ceiling is much higher. I think you can make a much bigger argument around a floor for all these other guys: Gabriel Davis, Jerry Judy, Juju Smith-Schuster, DK Metcalf, Elijah Moore. Darnell Mooney, uh, Devonta Smith, like all for all those guys, I see potential. Any one of those guys, I think, could have even a lower floor than that. Like, like Metcalf's probably going to come through on his talent alone, but good God, like the Seahawks <laughs> are terrible. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm going to draft as much as I can of Amon Ross St. Brown. It's like, yeah, everyone, we're not expecting him to be the overall wide receiver too, like he was in weeks 13 to 18. You don't have to draft him that way. So chill out about it. Why and I'm not drafting him on Ross St. Brown in the sixth round. I'll take Alan Lazard in the seventh. <laughs> All right, let's talk a little Jameson Williams and uh, <laughs> uh, your hatred for... The my perception. love for Amon Ra, my um, my love for Amon Ra, and my hate of Alan Lazard's new ADP. Yes, I it, it never ceases to uh, get a cackle out of me, Dwayne. Okay, Jamison Williams, someone that transferred from Ohio State only because it was the one depth chart in the entire world that could maybe keep him off the field. Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Jackson Smith, and Jigbo's could be a top fifteen pick next year. Jamison goes to Alabama and just com- starts completely balling out. If you guys only saw him against the Georgia Bulldogs in the SEC championship, my God, like just what he was able to do—the one of the best defenses college football has seen. Probably ever and definitely in at least uh, some time. Truly amazing. So this is what PFF's draft guide, courtesy of draft expert Mike Renner, had to say about Jamison Williams. Where he wins, speed. Williams is a home run threat from anywhere with the ball in his hands. His combination of speed and yak ability for a six foot two receiver is rare. What's his role? deep threat. Williams is still not your true X receiver. You can trust to win possession routes. He's your vertical route specialist. You can also take screens, jet sweeps, etc. where he can improve muscle mass. Putting on some muscle will go a long way for Williams. He doesn't play timidly by any means, but he doesn't have the play strength to enforce his will at the catch point. Again, Dwayne, based on this ACL recovery, looking like October 13th, you know, let's see what week that would kind of be. Looking like, I think, week... Should be like week five or so. The Lions have a bye in week six, so... I would say the best case, week seven. best case earliest would be week seven at our Dallas Cowboys. Where does Jamison fall? Where does Jamison fall for you with that in mind? So it's basically like, you know, coming back from the injury is different than a suspension, but we're kind of projecting the same amount of games for him as say like DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's similar. Now <clears throat> we know that DeAndre Hopkins should be fully healed, right? That's, with, that's with, the difference. Yeah. That's the difference. He could, there could, so with Gallup, with uh with jameson with uh chris godwin right we could have lingering effects we don't know for sure every player ends up responding a little different right but the overall research says that these players are usually not 
quite back to being the same player in their first season back. Right. So we, we could be that that could cause some problems, you know, for Williams. Um, and I think, you know, the Lions have Chark if they need him. Like DJ Chark has at least had one good season that we can point back to. But, I, dude, I love Jamison Williams because, again, I never have to draft him even at ADP. It's always a draft where it's just people just like, I ain't taking no guy that's injured, ain't going to play six weeks. And I'm just like, okay. I, I don't know why I make that voice like a some farmer sitting on a tractor. <laughs> I ain't taking no Jamison Williams, Ian. Um, but it, it's like Jimmy Fallon, go on, get. Go on, get. Uh, Jamison Williams, you and your six weeks. Yeah, after the bye. Uh, Jamison Williams is a player that I love targeting, man, because you don't have to, again, he slides. Even at ADP, I'm fine with him. But I typically don't just because I know there are enough drafts where I don't have to worry about it. And as soon as I do, it's like I'll get him in round 13 or 14 and boom, turn around and come back with golf. Uh, and a few of those, I will admit, do also have Amon Ross St. Brown. I think I've got a couple of shares of Hawkinson, which we'll talk about in a second. But man, Williams, remember, and, and I love what PFF, you know, what Mike Renner said. Um, if you look at explosive play rate, you know, so that is the percentage of your targets that end up being receptions of 15 plus yards or more. So that's how we get explosive yeah. target rate for receivers. Jamison Williams, number one in the class. But the other thing is like when you really look at him on his staple route. So those are just looking at college receivers through the rent, through the lens of all the routes that the NFL uses the most in their route tree, right? Just looking across the entire league over the last three years. And basically the cutoff is routes that are at least used 7% of the time. And it's crossing, go, hitch, ends, outs, and slants, right? Obviously, I know folks don't hit me with, what about the out and up, man? Yeah, great. But it's around like 0.2% of the time. So it doesn't even really matter. Um, but whenever we look at Williams, like he has the third highest open rate on staple routes and the number one explosive play rate on the routes that the NFL uses the most. So while he did break out a little bit, he's still a young breakout, but he was obviously blocked a little bit early on, you know, playing with Ohio State. You already mentioned it, you know, really good players. At the end of the day, like he's probably more polished than what people realize as well. So that's the one area with where I know Renner talks about him as a deep threat and explosive playmaker. I think he might actually be ready for taking on more than that. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have to see how he comes back from the injury. But again, ADP is right. The ADP is right on him. And the other thing, I want to draft him now, Ian, because there is a chance we get into camp and they're like, hey, Williams is ahead of schedule. Yeah. And if that happens, his ADP is going to push to around 11. It's going to push to around 10. And so, and then we're still going to have to worry about, could he have a setback? And, and there's other players you may be looking and targeting in those rounds. So I like getting my exposure. If you guys are out there drafting best ball, like now is a good time to go ahead and get the exposure to Williams. Wide receiver 60 off the board. I feel like he was going a good 10 spots higher than that. Not that yeah, long ago. Fine. And <clears throat> at that point, no, but to your point now, yes, that's my yep deep analysis there next DJ, year this is a lesson learned for next year and i don't know why i haven't thought about this more but like we should be way more all over this injury stuff i agree way sooner yeah. <laughs> like we should are like why we should have already been grading Jamison williams this way we, you and i talked about this on chris godwin like off the air i think kj like, hamler's yeah. another guy like we shouldn't be surprised that and it's not just us believe me but um um but should, there's enough information out there now with all yeah. the studies and stuff that are out there that we basically know we don't have to be like i defer to the doctors because they're awesome but we basically don't have to be a doctor to know that this is the typical time frame when this kind of injury occurs Right. And we can at least start there. And then and then we let the experts come in and fine tune based on the other things. Right. That they're reading about it. But I feel like that's an area that I can improve on. Like and just and, and we're fine. We're only in July and we've already adjusted for all this stuff like in June. So we're still ahead. But like these are things we sh probably knew in March. Right. We, we, a, we knew when the injury occurred. So that's a lot of uh, Dr. Evan Porras's process. It's oh, just he's like awesome, man. the usual. Awesome. But like, you know, he's 
he does have certain players he's done like a deeper study into but when we were just going through this big chunk of aco injuries he was just like look i believe it was nine months was his like from start to finish like responsibly that's the earliest you should expect someone to come back and so it's just yeah he got hurt then so here's his projected month back like most likely based on that figure so yes i agree john we can do a better job with that and we will dj chark I've gotten him on some squads. I'm not going to reach on him. He is coming off a fractured ankle himself. Obviously, you know, from my novice medical uh, knowledge, it seems to me like, you know, having the bone breaks are just easier to recover than something that is, you know, attaching ligaments and all that. So not expecting him to be nearly as limited coming back than Jameson Williams. With that said, though, still does have the potential issues in terms of like, okay, will Jared Goff actually start throwing downfield more or is Chark going to be running wind sprints on one side of the field? And honestly, Dwayne, I know he got the $10 million for a year, which is a lot. And I think he'll start, but with what Josh Reynolds brings to the table, Khalif Raymond, Quintez Cephas, like these are guys that I could see rotating along the outside with DJ Chark. It's kind of like what we talked about with the Packers in terms of like, we could just see a lot of rotations everywhere with Amonra St. Brown being the one wide receiver who is barely leaving the field. Again, once Jameson is healthy, I expect he'll have that treatment as well. But I, I think there's an underrated chance that DJ Chark isn't nearly as uh, ingrained as his number two receiver as I think someone may be making him out to be. Yeah, I'm 12 spots below ADP on, on okay. Chark <clears throat> because here's the thing. In best ball, what is DJ Chark going to give me in the huge money weeks? when Jameson, By then, we know Jameson Williams will be back. Yeah. Right. So it's like at it, it best, it's probably a rotation on the outside for Chark by then. So the way I would think about DJ Chark would be more in managed leagues. So let's say I start off the draft running back, running back, running back. The rest of the room keeps pounding receivers, just punching Dwayne like right in the face over and over and over like Ian likes to try to do in drafts. Um, and so you're sitting there you're like, crap, I don't even I don't you know, I I'm going to have to pivot. I got to take a tight end. I'm going to take Kittle. And, and round four and then I'm going to turn around and I take Kyler Murray whatever in round five because I don't like the value and now I'm like okay I've basically got everything except my receivers now and so you could end up drafting DeAndre Hopkins right as your wide receiver one you're not going to have him for six weeks you, let's say you get Russell Gage let's be nice you get Russell Gage as your wide receiver one your wide receiver two is DeAndre Hopkins your wide receiver three let's say it's because Michael Thomas slips so now you got potential upside in all these players, but you have major question marks. And so then maybe you come back in, in the next couple of rounds and you throw some things at Tim Patrick, right? You like the, you like the schedule he plays in, you plays on the Broncos, you know, he's going to be on the field. Say you grab Rondell Moore because you're fine. You got Kyler, you got a double stack now with DeAndre Hopkins and maybe more just gets more early on while Hopkins is out, helps you cover for Hopkins. Then on a team like that, that's where I could see myself saying, fine, I'll throw DJ Chark on here. Maybe he gives me some production in the first five to six weeks, right? When I need it. Um, but I, I'm still going to be passing on him at ADP. I, I just, I don't get it. Like he's a player that honestly is really confounding to me with why, especially in best ball, why people are taking him so high. He, he, he did have one good year. He is, he's technically still a breakout candidate. Like I've got in him in my breakout wide receiver article, but he's like one of the lowest ranked guys with the lowest chance, but he had, he's technically checked like a couple of boxes, I just I just struggle to see a way with so much target competition and then Jamison coming back though that it, it's it's going to be something that really wins me a lot of dollars. So I think I would have to have a specific construction where for whatever reason I'm like, man, I just need help in the first few weeks. Like I, I got to have a, enough darts like cuz on a receiver on a team like that, you're probably drafting, you know, on DK I'm probably drafting 10 receivers, on underdog I'm tra- probably drafting 8. 
Um, you know, of course, half of them would be players that won't be in the league because underdog <laughs> receivers go so early. Um, but yeah, that, that would be the construction where I would consider a guy like Chark. Um, but I have zero shares right now. I think you uh, said that very well. Have you seen uh, Queen's Gambit, that Netflix no. show? No. This uh, it's about a chess player. It, it's very good. It's about a chess player, and she goes on to challenge the best in the world. But she starts to—I forget what drug it is. She challenges like she, a computer. She takes um, she takes some Humans sort can't of beat computers anymore. Okay, in chess, okay, so let me like, finish. So she takes some sort of drug or something, <laughs> like steals it from her like sick dad, and basically has her like tripping out as a kid, where she's laying in her bed and she's looking up at her ceiling, and she just sees the chess pieces there, and she's basically playing full games of chess with herself in the ceiling. And as you were going through an entire like potential underdog draft in your head there i was just imagining you laying in bed like just looking at the ceiling as like round one uh, no i just lay in bed and open another draft ian (laughs) (laughs) and i just i'm laying looking up but my phone is in front of me you're basically just doing that by yourself uh, i'm I'm not gonna lie i was the other night i was drafting and i had my phone up like this and it was like 1 a.m and i fell asleep bam right in the face like (laughs) round 13 wake back up (laughs) <laughs> finish this draft no time for sleep yet all right last one here the tight end room tj hawkinson brock Wright, james mitchell what's up fam tj hawkinson coming off 61 catches 583 yards four touchdowns only played 12 games in that year finished as the tight end seven on a per game basis as he also did the year before as a rookie was a tight end 26 I think Hawkinson is really good, Dwayne. I think he's probably a better real-life tight end, some of the things he's able to bring to the table as a blocker. Better than Dalton Schultz and stuff, but I'm not, I am not. don't think he's like in the Kittle stratosphere. I think they're of pretty like, close. I think Schultz, honestly, and Hawkinson are pretty close. I would okay. give Schultz the edge. Ooh. I mean, I would give Hawkinson the edge in talent just because we know he does have the first-round capital. Right. The NFL's not complete idiots. But at the same time, like when we look at their deep targets, Schultz doesn't get any, 5%. So those are targets of 20 yards or more. TJ Hawkinson, 6%. Now you've already brought up Jared Goff being part of that. But Yak. 3.3. He's kind of a catch it and fall down player. Schultz, yeah. same kind of thing. As you might say, you know, a Zach Ertz before he had yellow hair, right? <laughs> and then explosive play rate. So those are, again, those those receptions of 15 plus yards or more divided by your targets, only 14%, where you see a guy like Kyle Pitts at 27%, George Kill ripping it up at 25%, Mark Andrews, 22%. Even the older Travis Kelsey still at an 18%. So yeah, I think, and that's what I was talking about earlier. With, with, with Hawkinson, I'm starting to settle in that his profile probably doesn't carry the athletic upside that we once hoped, meaning, Hey, I can earn targets and I can do a lot with them after. I think right now he's starting to fall into, you know, could be in an offense where he could earn some targets, but is he going to be able to do that much additional with them? And as the target competition around him improves and the quarterback realizes, Oh, there's a dude over here that can get open and also take it to the house. Right. Does that mean that he's now going to see less? So I like Hawkinson. I have him in the same tier as Dalton Schultz. Like I think that's the perfect, you know, way to go. I have him in the same tier with Dallas Goddard as well. I'm I'm reworking my tiers this morning. Ertz I, needs to be in that tier as well. I think. Yeah, Ertz is. I have I have Ertz in the tier as well. Um, so it's it's Dalton Schultz, TJ Hawkinson, Dallas Goddard, Ertz. Ertz, Schultz, and Hawkinson are all the same profile, pretty much. In offenses, well, especially the Cowboys and Cardinals, they're in offenses that we like. Lions are an offense we think could be better. Um, they should be in line for targets. Uh, you know, Schultz, a little more room for upside in the targets this year because we've got Amari Cooper gone. You got Michael Gallup's gonna be out early. Um, I actually just dropped some stuff on my Twitter timeline where I uh where I dropped a screenshot of actually all my range of outcomes for the top tight 
10 tight ends in targets based on their drop back rate, the team drop back. So how often does the team pass the ball? And then a range of outcomes based on targets per route run. And, and Hawkins still, Hawkinson still projects fine. Ian. Like he's a guy that if, if you know, you're sitting there and it's round seven, um, you don't have your tight end and say the other positions dry up in front of you. And you're like, I'm gonna grab TJ Hawkinson. It's fine. It's just not, it's just not a guy that I'm going out of my way to target right now. And often because, I'm taking I'm taking a mile round the, yeah. the the round before. I, I like the Lions. I think they're ascending offense. I don't know that I want to invest back to I'll probably do it a couple of times, but I don't know how often I really want to invest back to back picks with Hawkinson and Amon Ross St. Brown into the Lions offense. I suppose there would be a scenario where I might where I might make that happen. But so I you know, I think Hawkinson is a fine mid tier, you know, tight end one. I don't think he's gonna destroy you and hurt you if if you draft him. Like I think he's gonna be stable. I just don't think the upside that we thought was maybe there, like going into last year and year three, I think we've seen enough now to know that that, that bull case is probably not there. To me, it's like Zach Ertz is going two rounds later. I'll settle for that. And I'll take someone like Trey Lance or freaking Ayuk or Tony Pollard at that point in time, Kareem Hunt's going a few picks later than Hawkinson. So yeah, but to your, we, I think you just threw us out like in a different positional discussion, but it's like, he's a low end tight end one. We've seen it. It's only been three years in the league, but again, just when I look at his overall stats, which I try to do here using multiple things, not just the PFF grades, try to look at the whole picture, but 68 tight ends with at least 50 targets since 2019. He's 14th in PFF receiving grade, 20th in yards per route run, tied for 33rd in yards per reception, 14th in targets per route run. He's really good. I don't think he is a top five receiving talent at the position. And I was trying to be nice about saying he's better than Dalton Schultz, but I think you're right. Like they really are a similar type of player. Like I think Dallas Goddard gives you more downfield ability and yak ability. And so Goddard, like is kind of a, he's a different, even though he's in the same tier, he's a different archetype of player. Yeah. Goddard. If he played on a team where we knew he could get the targets, like he, I think Goddard carries out of all these guys we're talking about, like say, say he has a teammate that goes down. Goddard's the one with the upside. If AJ Brown goes down, right, and and the Eagles decide not to remain, you know, rush heavy, like if if all of a sudden they're kind of not like they were the first four games, you know, throwing the ball 70% of the time, but let's say they're at least like 60%, right? Not like 50. (laughs) If they were a 60% pass team and it was just Goddard and one other player, um, Goddard would be ranked right behind Kittle. He would be ranked ahead of Schultz and ahead of Hawkinson instead of in the same tier with them, you know, just a couple of spots below. But if you're if you're a true upside drafter and all you care about is the upside, um, I think Goddard's floor is potentially a little bit is is lower than Schultz, you know, by a little bit. Not as much as people may think. Go again, you can check it out. I put it on the timeline today and you can go look at it. But like the upside for Goddard, like if the contingency value hits. And you're trying to actually have a pick that could make a difference, you know, and maybe help you win your league. I think Goddard is still the path to go in that range. It's a great point. Makes me want to move Goddard from tight end nine to uh, tight end eight. I do have Ertz ahead of both and then Schultz at tight end six. I understand because Ertz does have the lower ADPs. If you want to rank him lower and just not really force yourself to reach on him in the course of a draft. I get that, but Goddard and Ertz are pretty close on underdog 71 and 78, but, but give, your point, like Schultz, Schultz's Schultz's on FFPC is 44. Now that's, that's, that's tight end premium. Yeah. I'm still, I don't care if it's tight end premium and that round, like I'm, I'm just not, I'm not spending the pick on Schultz, but on underdog um, Schultz is 67. Hawkinson is 85. 
Uh, Goddard is 97. Ertz is 109. I'm just not going to have much Dalton Schultz. I think people are reading way too much into vacated targets. We care, and it's in his range of outcomes. It's baked into his rank here. I have him as uh, the sixth tight end, which is where he's going. The difference is, right, that people are taking their sixth tight end off the board way sooner than what I would, yeah. <laughs> you know, in the overall scheme of where I'm. So he's going pick 67, man, on underdog. He's, he's closer no. to Kittle than he is Hawkinson. Like, that should not yes. be happening. There is no way I'm taking Dalton Schultz under any circumstance ever over Kyler Murray. There's, I'm just not, man. I'm not taking him over Jalen Hurts either, right? I mean, those two players, we can argue, in the sixth round could win your league for you. I don't think Dalton Schultz is going to win your league. I don't think he's going to hurt you. No. I think Dalton Schultz will be fine. You'll be like, okay, I got I got an okay tight end. I feel good. But I think you're also going to feel fine to your point, Ian, if you take Zach Ertz. <laughs> you know, you get Zach Ertz at pick 109. Schultz goes at 67. That's silly. All right, quickly recapping. Jared Goff, not someone you're going to concern yourself with in traditional one quarterback leagues, but don't underestimate what he could do as a QB2 or QB3 in best ball land where he's just kind of being thrown at the bottom of that tier of quarterbacks. And it comes down to like, all right, Jared Goff in round 16, Tua in round probably 12 or so. I'm usually going to be fine taking more wide receivers earlier, settling for someone like a Goff or Wentz later. I running back DeAndre Swift. Dwayne and I both have him RB10. Very fair to prioritize him in full PPR formats. Half point standard. That's when we can, you know, have bigger questions about him versus guys like Joe Mixon and Javante Williams. Jamal Williams, love, 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 truly. I would say, honestly, man, our favorite, like, late, late round running back at this point. He's just being priced so close to his floor. You can obviously see players that have his same profile as a flex with benefits that are going rounds and rounds ahead of him. So we love Jamal Williams, Amon Ross St. Brown, both of our wide receiver 25s, well ahead of consensus on there because we don't see players be as freaking good as the sun god has been, fall off a cliff, not expecting that to happen to him. Jamison Williams is being priced appropriately now. Don't hate the player, hate the ADP. We're fine taking that injury discount as long as he's going to be outside the top 60 freaking receivers. DJ Chark, meh, TJ Hawkinson, if he's going to be falling past ADP, okay, but right now, Zach Ertz is the one that's cheaper and we don't see that big of a difference in them. So just go ahead, take your Kyler Murray, take your Jalen Hurts, go get another tight end that we feel like is pretty damn good in the same realm of uh, the tier. And yeah, sound about right, Dwayne. Yeah, man. I, I, I was excited about this team. Like I, I didn't, and it's one of these teams going into it when I was doing looking at some projections and different stuff and like modeling some different things. I don't want to say model. Like I, I was doing some <laughs> spreadsheet shit, people, um, <laughs> you know, um, I, I really was starting to get excited about them, you know, and just looking at the moves and um, you know, how the team, you know, is just, I like the way they're put together, man. I think there's a real chance that the lions are a team that surprised us this year. I mean, it, it's no guarantees obviously, but I like them. One other thing I'll say just real quick, like on quickly on the tight end thing, you know, so and, and if you go look at my tiers, which for tight ends will go up on Monday, they're already up. You can see the old one, but I'll have a refresh version on Monday. Um, but again, in the tiers, like I put in there, like the expected dropbacks for the team. So, right, how often they're going to pass, like how good do we think the quarterback play is going to be, target competition, all these different things. And what's interesting, like with this whole Dal Dalton Schultz versus George Kittle thing, right? Because I've seen a lot of people say, don't draft George Kittle, just wait on Dalton Schultz. Number one, before I even get into this, <laughs> number one, let's just take fantasy points scored per target. Like they're not close. Okay, folks. So a, a, a target to George Kittle is not the same as a target to Dalton Schultz. Those targets, the, the, the value of that target is different. 
because George Kittle, as you like to say, Ian, I think is really the best way to sum up George Kittle. <laughs> if the alien was invaded by, if, if the earth was invaded by aliens tomorrow and we had to push a tight end forward to save the rest of planet earth to play on our football team, George Kittle would be our pick. Yep. But what's interesting, I have George Kittle, I have the 49ers and I actually lowered their past projection this morning because I feel a little more confident it's going to be Lance. I think, I think there's, I want Jimmy G off the roster, you know, for the sake of Lance drafters. But at the same time, like I've got him at 32.8 projected dropbacks per game, the lowest in the NFL. Ian. I'm also accounting for Brandon Ayuk being in the picture. I'm accounting for Debo Samuel being in the picture. Dalton Schultz, I have the Cowboys projected for 40.9 dropbacks per game. That's 695 versus 558, a difference of almost 150 pass plays, Ian. Do you know that because of George Kittle's targets per route run, even in games played with these other dudes, he still projects higher on his floor for targets and higher on his ceiling for targets than Schultz? And the way I work these, um, like I gave Schultz, actually, so Schultz, his routes run per dropback, last year from week nine on when he basically became the lead tight end was 78%. So that's his median. Right. But I gave him an upside of 90% routes per drop back just because like they don't, you know, it, it could happen based on the team. Most, most players, I won't do that. Most players it's like, I'll be 5% one way, 5% the other, like, and you've got the, the number in the middle. So Kittle, you know, is 80 to 85 to 90. The interesting thing about Kittle Ian is we hear people all the time saying like George Kittle, man, like he stays in the block too much. You guys know he doesn't. No. You think he does because he did, he absolutely obliterates people <laughs> on run blocking whenever the team is running. Newsflash, all tight ends block when it's a run play, folks. So he does not stay in the pass block. Did you know that in games last year where George Kittle played at least 10% of the snaps because I wanted to get rid of games where he was hurt, um, you know, I could have even made it more to get rid of games where he left early. But just, just doing that alone, getting rid of the games where he didn't play at least 10 snaps. So basically he was in the game. And you look at his routes run per dropback, 85%. The same as Mark Andrews. Ooh. The same as Travis Kelsey. We just need George Kittle to be healthy. Do you know that George Kittle already has a plus 30% target per route run season on his on his resume? He's already got a 28%er as well. He's thrown up 24%ers with two other really good players in the offense. Bro, and he's so the like, best, he's the best yak tight end in the league. Like you're telling me Trey Lance can't throw him a little play action dump off. Exactly. Like that's all we need. Exactly. And and so Look, the floor I have now, this assumes Kittle plays all the games. That's where you could ding me on this and be like, well, but at the end of the day, I want, I'm, re- I'm willing to take on Kittle's injury risk because the upside when he hits, right? Versus Dalton Schultz. And, and they only go around apart to your point. So ADP is also part of the equation. But I have the floor, absolute floor, meaning Kittle only runs 80% of the routes. For whatever reason, they're like, well, we're not going to have you out there 85% of the time. We'll make it 80% of the time. And they only throw it to him 22% of the time he runs a route, right? Which he was above that last year. So that's a downgrade. 98, that is 98 targets. For Dalton Schultz, even though this team's going to throw the ball way more, has less target competition, his targets per route run are not near as strong, right? And you still have to earn targets because the defense adapts. Anyway, all that stuff we've talked about before. But his floor is 71. I've got his ceiling giving him a 12% boost from his average last year at 90% routes run per dropback, which is I'm giving him, you know, more than I give any other tight end in the model, 138. Kittle's upside, 151. So Kittle beats him on floor. Kittle beats him on upside. Kittle's targets are worth more per target. So look, yes, these things all matter. And, but you can't just throw it out there. Well, the team runs more. Well, they got, and, and I, it's all in the tiers. Like I care about these things. They're, they're all, I put them all in there. But I go through this kind of exercise 
you know, as I'm building them to say, okay, well, what does it really look like? Because George, George Kittle's talent profile is so elite. Like it just overcomes basically everything. And he still, he, for me with Kittle Ian, and I know we're going over, but I had to, I had to get this <laughs> out. The thing with Kittle is he still has tight end one overall in his range of outcomes. Like Dalton Schultz just doesn't have that. Like Kittle can give you that kind of year where you look up and you're like, wow, I had like an extra wide receiver one on my team. Right. Am I saying that's likely? No, but I think he's going to, he still has a really good shot at top three. And I mean, he just has the upside to give you that 16, 17 points per game. I think Schultz will be nice, right? He can give you that 12 to 13 points a game and you'll feel fine about it, but he can't give you that true lift if things go right. And that's what Kittle can do. And I've had several teams, man, even on underdog where people just dare you to not take, you know, the receivers because they're going to just keep pounding you where I have started runner, 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 especially in a half point PPR where we're, Look, the top three outcomes almost always go to running backs. And if you get them right, you could smash. And I'll come back. And because everybody's still taking receivers, it's fine. In round uh, in round four, I'll grab one, whatever receiver falls to me. And in round five, I take Kittle. And then coming back in round six, I take Kyler. So I'm six rounds in on underdog. I only have one wide receiver, but I have everything else done. And then I just plow away at the receivers. So are so- you Kittle over Waller now? Like we yelled about. Like No, I like ago? both. I love both. I love but both. You love um, Kittle more than Waller. Just no, Kittle. It. Yeah, Kittle. Yes. Kittle does carry more upside it. than Waller. Yeah, he does. Yes. Yeah, he does. He does. He does <laughs> carry. So with Waller, like when you look at Waller, because I did the same thing. I did this, you know, for all of the type tight ends because I'm I'm reworking my tight end tiers today, and so I need to go back and do this. So the median projection for both of them, um, you know, that's where Waller comes out a slight slightly ahead than Kittle, but Kittle's upside projection is still is still bigger there's dude there's still both two great tight ends to take i love taking both of them in round four if i'm if i'm taking if i'm drafting from you know the opposite end like 9 10 11 12 a lot of times i will take waller and i'll actually start i'll take Devontae adams and then i'll come back in the fourth round i'll grab waller and then ninth round I'll, i'll grab Derek carr um, so I, I set that stack up when I'm on the other end, I'm drafting like picks one through four. I'm much more often getting Kittle. Um, I probably do though need to at least a few times. And this is another thing we can talk about on our draft strategy. Um, I know like typically you don't want to reach past ADP, but I think in a scenario like this, like say you've built 10 teams, you know, where you've taken Waller down at these end picks and you've got some different, you know, mix and match stuff that you really love. Like, I think there's, a reason, even though you may reach by 10 or 12 picks, there is a specific reason why you would want to say, okay, I'm going to build a very similar build this time, but I'm going to do it with Kittle and Lance, right? Instead of Carr and Waller, right? Or just Kittle. You don't even have to have Lance, right? Um, So that's something I want to do more of. If Kittle, you know, sometimes, man, he's one of my favorite picks. Sometimes you'll let him go. If you're picking in the middle, I mean, I love the middle so much because sometimes Kittle will come back around in round five to you in the middle of round five <laughs> coming back like like Waller if you're picking the middle sometimes makes it to the middle of round four he's typically an early round four pick every once in a while Waller will slide all the way to the end of round four and so I've gotten some exposure to him that way but man when Kittle comes back in round five like I'll go ahead and take him and then just see if I can let Kyler fall back to me in the sixth and I've had it work like multiple times I will say people are warming to Kyler yeah. Uh, the last like 10 drafts, I haven't gotten in, which I'm kind of like, Oh, what, like, what's going on? I need, <laughs> I need Kyler, but it's good. It's making me, if he goes down, like I need this, like I have to diversify. Something. It's like, it's like with Ertz, man. Like I always had him or Gronk 
just hey, if we don't get a tight end before now, we'll get one of these guys. And obviously, we lost Gronk. Now Ertz is starting to slide up more and more as well. Still affordable, but gotta be on our you know up and up there. Dwayne, we've done it. All thirty-two team previews have come and gone. You all can continue to listen to them. Go back and listen to an old one if you like this one, or, you know, or not. We'll still have more new content coming your way. Going to be looking at doing four shows per week here uh, for at least the next four weeks. Dwayne and I are going to start doing some redraft uh, streams where we're actually going to be taking, you know, some some high stakes action as the kids call it. Dwayne trying mm-hmm. to go take down some championships, and then we're going to have, you know, going back to just more segment style shows uh, next week. We want to do a catch up show, talk about the Baker Mayfield trade, things like that on Monday. Want to be looking at, you know, perfect draft strategy, depending on your position. And then I have a little something up my sleeve in terms of looking at the handcuff index around the league with a bunch of these running backs. Ooh, hopefully handcuff yeah. index. Fine. Well, let's, you know, let, let's find Can't guys. Wait to see how, I want to see how Jamal Williams grades out. That's what I'm saying. I've, I have a good feeling that he's going to be one of the better, more clear handcuffs. And we're going to see how ADP and be like, you know what? In, Everyone should be drafted. In the index. Do you put in um, so basically tier the. If if every t- if every single team starting running back got hurt, I then tier where we would be ranking the other guys. Oh, I love that! And so obviously, guys that have every down ability move up. There guys that are on less crowded backfields, you know, first you got to be a clear the clear cut handcuff. Then two, like what would your role be if they went down? How good's the offense, dude? Can't wait. Great day to be great. So yeah, everyone, hope you have enjoyed these team previews. Hey, if you did, I don't know, subscribe, give us a like, five star. I, I I think it's annoying as hell when hosts ask for that, like every single podcast. But you know what, Dwayne and I out here working hard. If you feel the need, if you enjoy it, go ahead. I won't bring it up again. I already feel like a loser bringing it up once. But just throwing that out there, uh, check out Dwayne's tears on PFF.com. And again, completed. Felt so good to finally get that done. Completed team preview series. If you were a true pro, like you would be like, you would know where the like button is and you would be pointing to it. Like, look at me. I can't even like know which way to go. Hit the like button. It's right here. It's hit this button. Goodness, That's my favorite. (laughs) Like, subscribe, hit hit the bell. So, you know, when we have a new podcast, all this, oh my God. All right. We we do enough of those. We may drive people crazy. Yes. Sorry. Close it out, Ian. We have talked 160 minutes about Fake lot, or no, I guess real life lions and then professional football lions, much coyotes. And coyotes. This was a fun episode to end things on for Dwayne. I'm Ian. Thanks so much for tuning into PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Until next time, take care. Take care.